Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week I am going to take a deep dive into Andor Episode 7 titled Announcement. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter at Force Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Force Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our Tee Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it is time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. All right, everyone, welcome back to another installment of Forest Ghost Conversations. And on the other side of our next segment here, I'm very excited to get into a deep dive discussion on and or episode seven titled Announcement. Before we get into that, let's do a quick rundown of the Star Wars and Lucasfilm news that has taken place over the past week in our segment titled Cloud City Gossip. First, get excited, everybody, because we've got a new animated series coming to Disney Plus next week. This is, of course, the appropriately titled series Tales of the Jedi, which will uh, take place or debut, I should say, next Wednesday, October 26th. So get ready as six new episodes, three featuring the fan favorite Ahsoka Tano and another three with Count Dooku hit television screens very soon and you can rest assured that we will be covering all six episodes with deep dive looks in the next coming weeks here on force ghost Conversations. so stay tuned for that content in the future also in the same realm of andor volume one of the soundtrack has been released on streaming platforms be sure to check out this amazing work that nicholas bertel has put into composing the music for this series thus far. Now, Volume 1 comprises the music from Episodes 1 through 4 of Andor, and let me tell you, you will not regret taking a listen. Trust me on that one. And with that, that's all the Star Wars news that I had compiled for this week's episode. On the other side of this break, we will do our full spoiler discussion of Andor Episode 7. Stay tuned. Okay, everyone, thanks for staying tuned to Force Ghost Conversations. And I'm going to get right into it because I got a lot of notes for Andor Episode 7 titled Announcement. If you haven't watched the episode yet, I mean, come on now, folks, what are you doing? You know the drill by this point. Pause this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. Go watch the show on Disney Plus and then come right back to this moment in time. You've all been forewarned. You should know the drill by now if you've been listening to our Andor coverage at this point. And I hope you watched it because this is a really, really fantastic episode. Just continuing this long line of, of great work that has been done in this series. This is directed or this specific episode is directed by Benjamin Karen and it was written by Stephen Schiff. Now, these are both new voices in the Andor 
sector, if you will. They haven't directed or written any of the previous episodes for this series. And I will also note that this is a very transitional episode, too. We're on the other side of of the 12-episode season now, if you will. This is kind of the start of the second half. Episodes 1 through 3 and 4 through 6 were very much a clear 1 through 3 and 4 through 6 themselves were their own specific arcs. They were self, not necessarily self-contained, but, you know, they they encompassed almost like a movie-esque storytelling with a clear beginning, middle, and end for each of them. And as a result, this is a very different approach to this episode thus far compared to the rest of the series. And I'm very excited to see where it goes overall. The story is fantastic thus far and so fresh for Star Wars. And the writing team has really done a tremendous job in setting up the story to this point with characters who fall all over the spectrum in terms of their moral compasses and ideology. It appears that in the beginning of the episode that Cyril Karn, our pre-more corporate sector public servant, security boss, officer, police officer, if you will, that is now living at home with his mom is really stuck within the confines of his mother's home. From the closed captions, we learn that his mother's name is Edie, and I'm not sure if that was noted in the earlier episodes, but here we are nonetheless with that bit of canon information for all of us at home that are up to date, staying up to date on that type of information. She's still obviously hounding him about just about everything. Now his appearance is under question, and I can't really say that I blame this guy for wanting to be a part of something greater and on the other side of the galaxy, far away from his mother. Now, this is something I noticed in my rewatches of the episode, that I kind of get the sense that this is almost like an anti-Luke Skywalker character progression, if you will, right? This this person that is kind of trapped within the confines of the cave that they are grown, that they live within, that they grow up in, right? And Luke just chooses to go off on this adventure quest that that he's on, and they make different choices along the way, right? So you know, obviously, Cyril at this point, this point seems to like the Empire and be a, wants to be a part of it and believes in what they stand for. Um, so maybe he he takes that same path later on, but we'll have to see what really the overall trajectory of his journey in this series really is. But I'm excited to see that 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 road where he takes where it will lead. Now it is certainly Cyril is. He got that long-awaited interview with, with that from his uncle Harlow, and he seems super thrilled about that, by the way. <laughs> Being super, super sarcastic about that one, folks. I will say that the mother has a good point here about appearance and choice, and it's something I wanted to talk about for a little bit here. Everything that we do, whether we think about it or not, consciously or not as well, is a, is a result of a choice that we make. Especially when it comes to appearance, it would be asinine to think otherwise that how we choose to present ourselves is not meant to instill a set of understanding about who we are. For example, take think about it. If I, if I wear in public a Star Wars shirt to folks, that is a clear indicator from me that I want people to know that I'm a fan of Star Wars. And I don't think this theme really plays out much further in the episode, but it is something important to keep in mind as we try to be our best selves and you know, put forth our best foot forwards and all that stuff and try to be authentic to who we are as people. Just something interesting to, to note. During the conversation with his mother, though, he does hear the Holonet story of the attack on Aldani. And it's interesting that this story is being as widely reported as um, as it is, right? I'm, I'm intrigued that the Imper- Imperials haven't necessarily gotten ahead of the story at this point. And obviously, as we learn in the episode here, they 
they are cert- there's certainly a lot of imperial decrees used as a result of this attack to tighten their grip around the galaxy but i thought maybe those instances had already been been established already but hey here we are we get a very very much I don't know if I would say fan favorite character, but a character that makes sense in the Star Wars lore that is now a part of this series, right? We got we got Admiral, well, it's not really Admiral Yularen at this point, but it's just Wolf Yularen. He's the head of the ISB. He was an admiral during the Clone Wars. He's obviously an ISB agent, the head of the ISB. I don't know his exact title off the top of my head, um, but he's in, he's in Star Wars The Clone Wars. He's featured in Star Wars Rebels, and he's on the Death Star, at the infamous um, scene where Vader chokes out the the uh, Admiral Tag, I think. Don't quote me on that one. Uh, it's been it's been a minute since I brushed up on that, but should should have done that beforehand, Anthony. But here we are. Uh, that infamous scene where he chokes out the the one Imperial officer there and says, um, "I find your lack of faith disturbing." Now, Yularen is clearly ready to strike back. He's been empowered by Emperor Palpatine and given full power over finding out the finding the perpetrators and putting an end to this acts, these acts of rebellion across the galaxy. Now, basically, they're imposing a tribute tax on any sector harboring partisan activity. Any time there's use of local custom as cover for rebel activity, that will trigger permanent revocation of imperial tolerance. So basically, they will remove and stop them from doing such um, customs and and celebrations anymore. Um, the emperor will also convene a special session of the Senate to put forth a, a series of bills and amendments to further give the ISB more jurisdiction and power in all matters of surveillance, search, and seizure. Now, this is getting certainly a lot of real world vibes to me here with you know real world examples such as the Patriot Act and both the the Reichstag Fire Decree uh, that have taken place after similar events of what one would consider terrorism, right? Now, specifically specifically in this instance too, any criminal act against the Empire is now a class one offense. All prison sentences are immediately reevaluated. All outstanding fines and levies are to be paid in full. And that's just you know, they've just really tightened their noose around the galaxy and use this event as as a reason by which to do so. Didra is right about this effort playing into the hands of the rebels, right? As soon as the Empire tightens their grip, more people will flock to their cause. She says it right. It is an announcement. The act on Aldani is an announcement that the Empire can be beaten. It is an announcement that the rebels are a thing to be reckoned with. Now, I took into account last week, I was wondering about how this event would affect the Aldani citizens. And we get a little bit of news about that from the one radio out uh, transmission or whatever thing that Luthan's able to tap into. We learned that 134 Aldani citizens have been taken into custody as to the charge of abetting terrorists. And again, I had a feeling that there would be massive ramifications on Aldani afterwards. Just something interesting to note as... As exactly right, the Empire is continuing to tighten its grip around the galaxy, and and further, people are slipping through to join the rebellion as as a result. Right, that's the natural cause and effect. Mon Mothma afterwards comes to pay a visit to Luthen. Now she found an excuse to come back to the shop to talk about the Aldani event. Luthen keeps acting 
in his antiquities-esque voice and posture so as not to draw further attention to their activities, which is a smart play on his part, right? The Empire has eyes and spies everywhere. Mon Mothman is clearly concerned about that. And Luthen is looking for cash funding to to support the larger rebellion activities that uh, across the galaxy, right? There are many cells across the galaxy. There isn't a combined United Rebel Alliance yet. That happens later, a couple of years later at this point. And he couldn't keep relying on the channeled funds for Mon Mothma's family accounts through her her charity, right? That's this this kind of like Ponzi scheme, if you will. This this uh, this offshore account that she's funneling these these funds through in order to to make these these payments for the various rebel groups that they're supporting. Turning back will be impossible now, as Luthen states. This moment is really a paradigm shift for the leaders of this rebellion. It's time to own up to what they are doing or to step aside. Luthen clearly has made his choice. The network that they've built will either grow or it dies. He says, quote, we need the fear. We need them to overreact. The time has come to force their hand in reference to the Empire. Mon Mothma retorts back with, people will suffer. And as I was watching, I, I, would, I would say that I would argue that people are already suffering without even having a chance to fight back. And Luthen in response says, that's the plan. It's cold and harsh, but it, it's true when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Like I alluded to before, the more that the Empire tightens their grip, the more that people will get fed up and look to join something greater than what the Empire is offering. He says, quote, if you're not willing to risk your consciousness, then surrender and be done with it. Powerful line by Luthen that strikes hard with Mon Mothma, if you ask me. It is all happening perhaps faster than she ever expected. But it would have been naive of her to ever think that this day would not come. She now has a choice to make. Stand with the rebellion or continue with the status quo. She intends to move forward with her event or slash meeting this evening, if you will, to attempt to bring another person into their network, which is a pretty clear choice to me that she's willing to continue on with the work. Cyril's interview is at the Bureau of Standards, which is a very appropriate thing for him, if you ask me. The building, though, looks like the worst office in the history of offices. I mean, those cubes, you talk about ticky-tacky boxes on the hillside, like, I would I would loathe coming to that place each and every day, let me tell you what. Now, in his defense of himself there in this interview process, he's a, certainly an interesting viewpoint of how the story of the last few days went and he, but he intends to have his record expunged as soon as possible through his good work. We get a little glimpse back on Aldani, where Cinta is clearly doing okay. She has a cool mountain speeder bike, that kind of thing, if you will, that has helped to scale down the cliffs of Aldani. And the Empire is certainly having a strong presence after the attack, as noted in both uh, the hollow net recording or the radio broadcast, whatever, and her own personal experience seeing the Star Destroyer overhead. Now, Clea, who's the assistant at Luthen's antiquity shop, and Vel, who you may recall is the leader of the group on Aldani that made the heist, meet up in the lower levels of Coruscant later in the episode. She says that Cassian Andor is a loose end, and that in, in regards to Clea telling Vel that, and Clea orders Vel to kill Cassian and to close up that loose end. We'll see how far she gets with that. I mean, that's certainly an interesting plot line that will be moving forward probably with a brisk pace as the as the series continues there. 
Now, Cassian, as, as we are finally getting back to our, to our main character here, returns back to Ferex, right? He's going back to see Marva and B2 and, and who knows who else. I'm glad that we get to see some familiar faces again. I was wondering if we'd ever get the chance to return back to this place. Like you didn't, I mean, you didn't know there was no, no guarantee of that whatsoever. Uh, and I'm personally thankful for that. Marva and B2 seem quite excited to see Cassian again. And I like that little hug that B2 tries to give him as he returns into the home. Now troopers and the empire have certainly increased their presence after the events of episode three in the series. And Marva shares with Cassian that it was actually Tim, uh, Bix's ex-boyfriend at this point now, now he's dead, was the one who turned him in. Cassian shares that he has enough credits for them to go anywhere in the galaxy that they want. And Marva seems hesitant at this point about Cassian's offer. I think she's struggling to form the words for what she will eventually say later. And, and that's a very powerful scene, which we'll, we'll touch upon uh, in, a, in a couple minutes here. Uh, before she gets to that point, though, they do decide to leave first thing in the morning and Cassian goes off to check in on Bix in the meantime. Meanwhile, there's a cut right back to Mon Mothma at this party that she's hosting, which is really just a, a ruse in order to have this meeting with her friend that she wants to bring into their quote unquote network, aka the rebellion leadership at this point. The gentleman whom she speaks with is from Chandrilla, her home planet. And his name is Tay Colm. Mon Mothma claims that he is one of her oldest friends and is a banker. And Tay shares that he has grown more wary, more than wary of the Empire. So he doesn't have any love for them whatsoever. And even he says to an extent, like, my politics might be a little bit of a distaste for you since you live this life all the time, right? Mon Mothma shares the image that she presents herself as. Her reputation as a senator, if you will, protecting separatist do-gooders is all a front. She is an irritation, as she knows, but it is all a lie. Quote, unquote, the Mon Mothma people think they know? It's a lie. I show you the stone in my hand. You miss the chance. You you miss the knife at your throat, which is a great line. She also says, quote, as long as people, everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what I'm really doing. End quote. She shares that she is raising money with with Tay. She needs help from Tay, though, since he's a banker and accessing her family's money. And when pressed about what the fundraising is for, Mon shares that it is for a Chandrillan charitable outreach program. Now, Tay will become the chairman of the program and it will involve frequent visits to Coruscant, most likely to review the progress and ensure that everything is going according to plan and also to keep face for what this actually is. Right. And it sounds to me like this is a great front for the rebellion to operate in these early days. Quote, it will appear to be another of my benevolent and useless irritations, end quote. Now, a looking overview at this whole interaction here, I think that Tay is definitely picking up what Mon Mothma is putting down here. The subtleties in his performance to me against hers make this point clear. Especially once Mon Mothma harkens back to his point about his personal politics being too strong and averse from the Empire for her tastes. So we'll be intrigued to see this story play out even further, right? They're laying the seeds for more activity and and action as this is as the series moves towards its second half here and in, and beyond. Now back on Ferrix, Bix is not too happy at all to see Cassian again. It seems that in Tim's death, the scapegoat for this community, especially for Bix, has become Cassian. Now canon point here Cassian and Bix were together romantically at one point so good to know there he was 
Uh, I think we alluded to this before, potentially like speculating on that in our earlier episodes that maybe Bix and Cassian had been together romantically at one point when maybe uh, Tim was maybe picking up on that and being a little bit jealous. Uh, And I think that kind of tracks and plays out as to what happens in the earlier episodes there. Now, the community is clearly hurting still from the recent events that have taken place. The constant oppression of the Empire is a reminder to, and not helpful for Cassian's cause. We get a really interesting flashback sequence, though, right after this, and it's perhaps at the end of the Clone Wars or to when Ferex was taken over by the Empire. It's kind of hard to tell because the one person yells, long live the Empire, or sorry, long live the Republic, and the troopers look like they're kind of wearing clone armor slash early stormtrooper armor. It's kind of hard to say. Nonetheless, Clem, Cassian's adoptive father, says that this is not their fight yet and tries to stop some rousers in the streets. Unfortunately, he is caught in the middle of that activity and is later hung in the town square, as noted in the earlier series. We even get to see that a little bit in the episode later on. Marva then shares with Cassian uh, later that that night or in the morning, whatever, doesn't matter, that she is not going with him. She shares that it is happening everywhere, right? The the oppression of the Empire. It's It, it doesn't matter where you go. You can't escape it. Now is the time to choose your home, and to fight for your home. The peace that she is seeking is within her head. She can see the dream, right? She believes in that. The rebellion is in her head, if you will. She wants to fight the Empire, and after Aldani, she now has a strength that she hasn't had in in almost 13 years, right? Since Clem uh, passed, which, now that I'm thinking about it, 13 years, this this series is roughly 14, 15 years before... Uh, the events of A New Hope. So we're talking about maybe two years after Revenge of the Sith. So definitely Reign of the Empire probably expanding into these these regions here. Perhaps Ferex was a separatist uh, country that, or not say country, but an, a separatist planet that was taken over then. Interesting, maybe. Good to know. But the attack has, has, has been inspiring to her. It's inspiring people to raise up. Creating new heroes ready to fight in their own neighborhoods, right? Exactly. The Empire is tightening their grip, and this announcement from uh, the attack on Aldani is is sending signals across the galaxy to various people to strengthen their, their positions on things. She says that she's been lying around waiting to die long enough, and now it is time to take a stand. But she's okay, though, with Cassian going on a different path. At the end, though, she is staying. And she's right. And I'm glad that she's staying true to her ideals and principles here. Marva also, at, before Cassian leaves, implores him to stop searching for his sister. She says, quote, it is a fantasy. There were no survivors. And we'll see if Cassian takes that advice, right? That is really the linchpin of this entire series is him going to that brothel in the first episode to... See if he could find his sister. That's why the two corpos hunt him down and all that stuff. It's really the, the domino that put this all into place. So we'll see if he continues with that. Now, perhaps the greatest part of this episode, ladies and gentlemen, to me, is that public display of a workplace dispute in the ISB. It was so fascinating. It was probably the most action-packed sequence of this entire episode. It is literally like a fight and climbing for a position on the ladder and status right in front of our eyes. 
And honestly, the ISB stuff is some of the best parts of this series, in my opinion. As a result of this exercise, Supervisor Miro, Deidre, if you will, is now in charge of the Morlana sector, a.k.a. Ferex. Now, so we'll see after how that plays out. I know from the, the trailers that we've seen, we've seen uh, her with some death troopers. And that's perhaps on Ferex. So we'll have to see how that plays out there. She, maybe she goes to check in on Marva and all that stuff. Maybe there's the connections there between Cassian that she starts to allude to further. Now, I too salute the provocative exchange of ideas, Major Partigas. That scene was absolutely epic. And I hope for more exchanges like this in the series overall. Now, after Cassian leaves Marva, he goes off and retreats, if you will, to the planet Nyamos for some extracurriculars and relaxation. And this, this sequence really has an exquisite score from composer Nicholas Bertel. It is nice seeing a new location, too, for Star Wars set on a beach resort planet, right? This is a place that anyone can... Uh, can head to, if you will, or at least can envision themselves heading to for a vacation. The real world certainly is is embodied here in Star Wars. Now, despite all this, Marva's proclamation is true. Cassian still can't seem to escape the reaches of the Empire here. He gets stopped by a, sh a shore trooper, which I believe is is voiced by the great Sam Witwer, who's had a number of, of cameos in Star Wars, as well as portraying the character of Starkiller in the Force Unleashed video games and Naturally, the voice of Maul in so many Star Wars pieces, notably Solo and Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars at this point. He says, you're a part of it. He questions him. He's, he's, he stops him for basically no reason. He sees that he's sweating. It's like it's a beach planet and he's wearing a, a, a sweatshirt and jacket, right? Long pants, too. Like, it's clearly a hot day. He also has long hair. He's basically being profiled right here just because of existing. And the Empire is strengthening their grip and punishing just about everything. Now, say what you will about this, this sequence, but the fact that we get a KX series security droid alert, folks, that is incredible. We got to see the exact same droid model that is K2SO, the beloved droid from Rogue One, a Star Wars story that we will see hopefully later on in this series. Now, maybe this showcase is a hint to K2SO eventually joining the show, but, you know, I just love that, that we get this. It just shows that we have an expanded world and a galaxy and these interconnected pieces are starting to fall into place. And again, as I alluded to, as a result of just existing, basically, Cassian is thrown into jail for six years. Right? They list some, a litany of charges that are all, all out of line, if you will. And the fact that he's just they're just making a clear example of him. It's supposed to be like a six month sentence. Now it's six years. Right. That is just absolutely bonkers to me. And the episode concludes as it began with Cyril Karn working away in his cubicle. And he's just one amongst the many, right? That just the, the shot pans out and you see cubicle, 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 thousands, thousands of cubicles. And that's an interesting way to conclude things, right? He, he once had this position of power and status, and now he's just one of many. And I wonder how that will play out for the rest of the series, right? And if that continues with him being more involved in, in this, in the coming arcs and whatnot, be very intrigued to see how that all plays out, right? And let me tell you what, I think next episode will require a little bit of a heist. Cassian will certainly require breaking out of jail. Maybe Vel's involved with that because she's charged with hunting him down and, and killing him. But it, it's, Cassian is certainly a loose end and he can't be in a jail run by Imperials 
when he knows so much about Luthen and the rebellion and the operations involved and whatnot, and he has all those credits to his name. There's there's a lot at play here that Cassian is is at the center of. So be very intrigued to see where this episode goes or how it plays out in future episodes, I should say. But overall, my thoughts for this episode are I I was so enthralled with it from the start. This is a fantastic episode. It's got a lot of exposition, but those this the writing in this episode is just so so on point, if you ask me. And if you will, this episode is such an epilogue to the events of of the previous arc, the Yaldani arc, if you will, where the heist is now completed and now it's the aftermath, right? What happens? All this imperial grip tightening has taken place. The rebellion or the leaders of the rebellion feel feel empowered. They're they're strengthened. They they have this opportunity that they're trying to seize here. And it's also a step forward too, moving into episodes eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, the second half of the of the series, uh, at least for season one, I should say. Cassian is now in jail. Marva's on Ferrix, trying to start her own empowered rebellion there, or at least stand up to the Imperials. The Imperials are are strengthening their grip, and Deirdre is now probably going to go out to Ferrix to check in on her new sector that she's in charge of and connect these dots that she's starting to put together here. What's Luthen and Mon Mothma going to do when they hear about all this stuff? That's going to be so exciting to see. And I'm fascinated that at uh, what this show is really able to to produce in terms of its connections to our real world. I find that always interesting to me. And I hope that you are all enjoying this series just as much as I am. I want to hear about your thoughts on Andor, especially episode seven, the announcement and episodes one through six. In addition, hit us up on all of our social media channels. We can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Just search the words Force Ghost Conversations and we'll be there in some way, shape or form. If you're loving the show, tell your friends about us. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your podcast listening site of choice. That helps us to expand, to reach other audiences, and to grow the proverbial seats around the campfire that is this podcast. Also, if you're loving the show that much, we would love it if you would check out our Tea Public store. And if you're willing, check out our shirts, our, our all the various things that we have merchandise-wise for sale. All the proceeds go to supporting the show, of course, and we really appreciate your support. And uh, if you're so inclined to wear our merchandise anywhere that you are, are uh, heading out in the world, right? Well, that's all that we had for this week's episode, everybody. We'll be back next time next week, breaking down episode eight of Andor. And I hope that you are enjoying the series just as much as I am. And until then, folks, may the force be with you. Take care.